Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Is the home of the Sistan Wapatenoyate Reservation, or is it a loose collection of trust and private land with no official boundaries? The answer to that depends on which map you're looking at. South Dakota officials say there is no Lake Traverse Reservation on their maps. There are two other South Dakota reservations that the state doesn't include for other reasons. Today we'll hear from tribal officials about the significance of recognizing their land and what they hope to do about it. That's coming up on Native America Calling. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Bureau of Land Management and the Forest Service are set to hold a meeting regarding a proposed national monument near the Grand Canyon. Tribal leaders are among those advocating for protections of the area. The Mountain West News Bureau's Murphy Woodhouse has details. Among other things, the proposed 1.1 million acre monument would make permanent a 20-year moratorium on mining already in place for the area. The National Monument Proposal's official name is Abaj Nawabja. Stuart L.T. Chavez is a former tribal council member for the Havasupai, one of about a dozen tribes in a coalition pushing for the designation. Chavez says the name is made up of Havasupai and Hopi phrases, meaning respectively, where our ancestors roamed and our footsteps. It's not going to just be the Havasupais alone. This is a protection for the environment for everyone to be conscientious about. The proposal has faced some pushback, with the Mojave County Supervisor recently saying it would have negative economic impacts. The BLM and Forest Service are meeting in Flagstaff Tuesday after and several high-ranking officials will be on hand. Those who are unable to attend can email or send comments within a week of the meeting to the BLM's Arizona State Office in Phoenix. I'm Murphy Woodhouse. The electoral drama continues in Guatemala with protests against Justice Department officials seeking to disqualify an anti-corruption party certified for a runoff election next month. Meanwhile, support is growing for the party's embattled candidate, including among the more than 40% of people who identify as indigenous. As Maria Martin reports, he recently campaigned in heavily indigenous communities in the western highlands of the country. Speaking to a crowd of thousands in the largely Quichemaya community of Totonicapan this weekend, Bernardo Arevalo of the Semilla Party said it was time to end not only corruption, but centuries of racism and discrimination in Guatemala. Arevalo's message of change is resonating with many voters. Like 24-year-old Maya Cachiquel Weaver Melisa, she says she and her friends in the indigenous community of San Antonio Aguascalientes are looking forward to casting their vote for Arevalo in the runoff in August. Ellos están hablando de Bernardo Arevalo para la... They like his experience and his background as the son of the first democratically elected Guatemalan president, she says. Analysts say they've never in recent memory seen such a surge of popular enthusiasm for a political candidate. And some believe that the massive campaign of legal blocks and social media attacks against the Semilla party and Arevalo may have actually helped to spike their popularity. For National Native News, I'm Maria Martin. 
U.S. Senators Ben Ray Lujan and Susan Collins have reintroduced legislation intended to protect Native children. The Native American Child Protection Act would authorize three programs to help tribes prevent, investigate, and prosecute child abuse and neglect. The programs were first authorized in 1990. According to the senators, the programs were never truly funded and have not been reauthorized. They say reauthorizing and modernizing the programs will help tribes develop and strengthen services to respond to child abuse and neglect in their communities, including by establishing a single service center to provide technical assistance and training and establish treatment programs and culturally appropriate services for victims. It would also reauthorize grants for child abuse prevention and investigation. According to the senators, these grants are the only tribal-specific child abuse prevention and treatment programs for Native children. Yet they say Congress has only appropriated $5 million since enactment more than 30 years ago. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Nobody likes a crowded highway. A crowded crib is even worse. For a safe night's sleep, use a fitted sheet only and be sure there are no toys, blankets, or pillows around your baby. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. The federally recognized Sistin Wapten Oyate does not have a reservation boundary, but that's only if you're looking at certain official South Dakota maps. State officials say a U.S. Supreme Court ruling disestablished the Lake Traverse Reservation in 1975, resulting in a checkerboard of private and trust land. At the same time, many other maps put the 107,000 acres into the tribe's historical triangular-shaped boundary. Two other tribes, the Flandreau-Santee Sioux and the Yankton Sioux, face similar hurdles getting the state to recognize their reservation boundaries. Today we'll hear from Sistan Wapton officials about the history of the tribe and its land and how they're working to get full recognition of their reservation. What do you think is the significance of having a reservation recognized or not recognized on a state map? Is this a minor discrepancy or a more serious issue? Give us your take by calling 1-800-996-2848. You can also comment on our Facebook or Instagram. And a reminder, you can download today's show and past shows wherever you get your favorite podcasts. On the line in Prior Lake, Minnesota, is Angelique Eaglewoman. She is a law professor, chief justice of the Sistan Wapten Oyate Supreme Court, and the director of the Native American Law and Sovereignty Institute at Mitchell Hamlin School of Law in St. Paul, Minnesota. She's also a member of Sistan Wapten Oyate. Professor Eaglewoman, thanks for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here and talk about this important issue. Well, we're happy to have you. And speaking with us from the Lake Traverse Reservation in South Dakota is Chairman Jay Garrett Renville. 
He is the tribal chairman of the Sistan Wapten Oyate. Chairman, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Also on the Lake Traverse Reservation in South Dakota is Representative Tamara St. John. She is a member of the South Dakota House of Representatives, representing District 1, and she's also a tribal historian and a member of the Sistan Wapten Oyate. Representative St. John, appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to the discussion. I am too. And with that, Professor Eagle Woman, Professor Eagle Woman, I, I think today's conversation begins with this Supreme Court decision to disestablish the Lake Traverse Reservation way back in the 1970s. What is the tribe's perspective on that? Well, Sean, you have to understand there was a litigation strategy, just like we saw in the Brackeen case, where you have anti-tribal interests lining up. And over time, in the mid-70s, 80s, and 90s, we see these cases coming up into the U.S. Supreme Court trying to take away reservation boundaries or carve off slices or corners of reservations. And unfortunately, it worked for our tribe. We're the one tribe where the U.S. Supreme Court said, yep, your Allotment Act in 1891 wiped away your boundaries, surprise, 84 years later. <laughs> so that's the injustice that we're dealing with. Um, since that time, though, the tribal government has been very strong in our constitution, our tribal relationship on, with the federal government on the reservation boundary. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the explanation then, or is there one, for why the reservation is listed on, on some maps, but not the ones that are issued by the South Dakota Department of Transportation? Well, when state lawyers engaged in that litigation strategy and they saw that they could um, change or have the, the U.S. Supreme Court try to change reservation boundaries, they like that decision, so they stand by it. That's unfortunate because we're permanent neighbors. I will say that since the 1975 decision, you will find the Lake Traverse Reservation on federal maps. Bureau of Indian Affairs includes us on maps, and all three branches have recognized the Lake Traverse Reservation. We have federal law. We have a U.S. Supreme Court case in 1987, Hodel versus Irving, mentioning the system walked in Lake Traverse Reservation. And we have land buyback programs with the Department of Interior. So right now, the, the effort is to get a clean re-recognition to clarify that the reservation still exists so that South Dakota and others must put our reservation on their map. Okay. Now, you... You say that all of these federal maps that the reservation is designated on those, it's these state maps. So, again, we might have a listener right now thinking, well, what's the big deal? I mean, obviously, these federal maps are probably more important, and that designation as reservation status on those maps is what people really probably need to be paying more attention to than these these state maps that, like, you know, for people that are driving around on South Dakota highways, well, it does matter because if you are a federally recognized tribe with a reservation, then you qualify for federal funding. It uplifts the economic quality for all residents on the reservation. And right now, it keeps being complicated by that 1975 decision. So we can't move forward. We're stuck in this ongoing circular conversation about what that means. So if we could get it clarified, then everyone can move forward. You know, 
all residents of the reservation would benefit. This doesn't change land ownership at all. The counties, there's no change for them. It's just a matter of having that boundary back in place. The U.S. Supreme Court couldn't change our tribal government status. They couldn't mess with the heart, the core of who we are. But what they could do was they could make us have a very complicated path forward as a reservation. And so that's the 1975 decision, and it was used as a threat to other tribes. Hey, you know, if this case gets up into the U.S. Supreme Court on your reservation boundaries, we might reinterpret your Allotment Act and do something to your reservation. Finally, with the 2020 McGirt decision in Oklahoma, the U.S. Supreme Court said, we're going to abide by the rule of law and stop this litigation strategy. Unless Congress clearly says in a federal law that there's a change to reservation boundaries, the U.S. Supreme Court will no longer infer the intent. That's what they did in 1975, inferred the intent of Congress, unbeknownst to the tribe, <laughs> that the reservation boundaries had changed. That's an injustice. It needs to be clarified. Professor, Professor Eagleman, thank you for, for starting us off here today. I'd like to now pivot over to Chairman Renville. And Chairman, it's been almost 50 years now since that high court decision. And, and tell us more, what has been the impact on the reservation since that time with regard to this disestablishment? I mean, have there been significant legal or policy changes that have altered the way of life or created challenges, not just for the tribe, but also its citizens? Yeah, I think what what Angelique mentioned, uh, it's just the clarity um, that, that we seek and that we're missing. And uh, that, you know, that decision leaves us a little unclear on, on how to proceed forward. As she mentioned, the, the grants and uh, the, other, the other issues um, for us, I guess, is just, you know, that recognition of that we are still here, that identity. And uh, that's kind of the main thing. And um, also, as she mentioned, you know, this doesn't change any kind of land ownership or anything like that. So it's really just about recognition of those boundaries. Okay. Recognition and, and then, of course, the funding. So tell us more about the funding, because I think a lot of listeners, they're probably really, really curious about that. I mean, can you look at any specific grant opportunities or other funding sources that maybe have fallen through because of this discrepancy or this lack of clarity? I mean, does it really hit the bottom line financially for your people at all? You know, I think potentially it has um, in, in which areas, um, you know, that's really broad to, to probably uh, um, really point out at this moment. But, uh, you know, just offhand, uh, you know, I think generally, yes, it, it has affected us. Okay. And Chairman, what has the tribe done to, to change this reservation status since then? Again, it goes back to 1975, almost 50 years. Yeah, we, we still operate as though um, internally and, and as a government, we still operate as though uh, we have those boundaries and, and they are intact. So um, that's just kind of how it's been for us going forward. And, and again, you know, it's just we, we're seeking that clarity and what are the prospects that you'll you'll gain that clarity here relatively soon? Yeah, I think it's a process, right? It starts with the, these type of conversations and understanding, uh, you know, the 75 case and, um, you know, the history. You know, for me, uh, it's a little personal. You know, my 
my grandfather, Gabriel Rinville, was, uh, you know, one of the credited with one of the, uh, you know, founding members of, of the reservation. And, and uh, you know, in that Dakota case, you know, they, they kind of did uh, take some of his testimony uh, or his, uh, you know, things that he said at the time out of context and kind of cherry picked, uh, you know, his stance on the issue of allotting the reservation and uh, kind of used it to their advantage. So, so coming full circle, you know, uh, 130 some odd years later, you know, um, I don't think father ever wanted to allot our reservation. Chairman, I can't imagine that he would have, and it stays back to the 1800s. And I understand that you are the seventh generation great grandson of Gabriel Riv. Gabriel Renville. And so often we hear as Native people, you know, thinking about that seventh generation. And now here you are sitting there as the leader of your people, that seventh generation. I mean, there really is uh, uh, a real auspiciousness to that, don't you think? And your connection there, your, your long-standing family history and tribal leadership? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's been a, uh, it's been a journey thus far. You know, I was inaugurated in January and, um, just really immersing myself in the history and, you know, all of the family stories growing up um, to be sitting where I'm sitting now is just uh, some days I just, uh, you know, I, I don't believe it some days. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. Well, folks, uh, we're going to have to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to have more with our guests, Professor Angelique Eaglewoman, Chairman Jay Garrett Renville, and Representative Tamara St. John. And we're talking about some of these issues there in the state of South Dakota with regard to State Department of Transportation maps and other ways in which the state does not acknowledge or recognize uh, reservation land. Stay with us. We'll be right back. A new survey finds a major disparity when it comes to oral health for Native Americans. A high number of Native respondents also say they're subject to discrimination by dental health professionals. We'll hear from Native dentists and others about how to improve those numbers. That's on the next Native America Calling. Hamitakipiki, <laughs> Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with representatives from the Sistin Wapton Oyate about why their reservation is left off official South Dakota maps. Join the conversation now with your comments or questions, 1-800-996-2848. That's our number here at the studio. Once again, 1-800-996-2848. Give us a call. Share your thoughts on this issue right now up there in the state of South Dakota. And Professor Angelique Eaglewoman is on the line right now. And Professor, earlier before break, both you and Chairman Renville mentioned uh, these efforts by the tribe to 
get this reservation land, these boundaries reestablished? And, and my understanding is that only Congress has that ability. Can you explain more for our listeners what that process is for getting reservation boundaries adequately recognized? So the funny thing is, is that there isn't a process because this doesn't usually happen. So how reservation boundaries are usually established are by a treaty. We have a treaty, 1867, and the treaty establishes the reservation boundaries and the rule of law is that only Congress can then change those boundaries. Well, that's the McGirt decision in 2020. But between the McGirt decision and 1975, when the Dakota decision came down, the U.S. Supreme Court played fast and loose with that rule of law and started inferring the intent of Congress to change reservation boundaries. So there is no process because this isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> okay, but this the McGirt decision, but the McGirt yeah. ruling, that must give you confidence then going forward. And that's why we're raising the issue over and over again and saying it's unjust. Look, this even was argued in McGirt, and McGirt says this is the wrong way to do it. So we need to go back and correct what happened in 1975. And can Does you tell us... Sense? It does make mm -hmm. a lot of sense. Well, tell us more about what that entails, though, going back and, and getting this corrected and, and using the McGirt decision as precedence to do that. Well, we do have, like I said, statements in federal law from 1984, a U.S. Supreme Court case in 1987 mentioned the system often Lake Traverse Reservation, but apparently local officials um, that are in permanent relationships with us, permanent neighbors of ours, South Dakota, are having a hard time recognizing these federal laws and statements by the court. So that's why we're trying to raise the issue and say, okay, Congress, can you just give us a one-liner in a federal law that says the reservation still exists, the boundaries are still there? Because until that happens, apparently we get to fight with those who leave us off maps. Mm -hmm. And Professor, when, when dealing with state officials there in South Dakota, in Pierre and elsewhere, I mean, what, what are they saying to the tribe with regard to this issue? Well, I think what we need to understand is that treaties were a way for tribes to sell into the United States to allow states to be formed. The reservation, the treaty was 1867. The, the state of North Dakota and South Dakota came into the Union in 1889, 22 years after the reservation. And unfortunately, we've had the history of twice now, first Minnesota, now South Dakota, trying to remove our reservation, trying to remove our land. And this is our permanent homeland, so we're going to continue to um, assert our permanent homeland. State Back and local officials are our permanent neighbors. This would help all residents with the economic development and the ways in which the tribe can better manage reservation resources without having to break down and work on this legal issue every single time we want to cooperate with county and state officials. So mm -hmm. it's a breakdown in communication at this point. Okay. And earlier you both shared, you and, and Chairman, that there, there are two issues at stake here. There's some of these funding issues and then also just the recognition aspect. And, you know, aside from dealing with having the reservation boundaries reestablished, having that taken care of, what about just the state agreeing to look, okay, 
we'll just, we'll go ahead and put your reservations on the maps. Are they? Let's not worry about the the Supreme Court issue now. Let's not issue about the the official status of of the reservation land. But we are willing to to acknowledge that on on our state maps. Are they at all receptive to that? Well, we certainly hope they would be. And it, it looks like, you know, as we continue to educate and have these conversations, it might open some minds to better understand what the issues are. Okay. Chairman, now you earlier mentioned you're still pretty new on the job. You were elected last December. Uh, belated congratulations, by the way. But I want to ask you, I mean, how high a priority is this issue for your administration right now? You know, uh, coming into it, you know, this has, uh, you know, been an issue, again, you know, approaching 50 years. And so um, I think every administration has, has uh, um, explored the options um, with, with McGirt coming out in 20, as Angelique mentioned. Um, you know, I, I feel like that priority has become a little higher. Uh, in the coming, you know, in this last term and then this term. So um, it, it really started to gain more momentum after that. So um, um, we're just, you know, carrying forth that priority and um, uh, exploring all options. Uh, most recently, we hosted the Tribal Relations Committee um, at Sisseton Wapaden um, to give them some background on this issue and, and to kind of prepare them for, you know, some potential action in the legislature this coming year. And Chairman, other tribes there in South Dakota that are dealing with the same issue, both the Yankton Sioux and the Flandreau Santee Sioux, are you working with those folks as well in this issue? Um, I think we have in the past. Um, most recently, you know, we, we've kind of discussed the issue in the Great Plains at the NCAI level. And um, um, most likely, again, uh, um, in the Great Plains uh, Tribal Chairman's Association, um, uh, we'll be speaking about it there. And, and of course, I think they both will support the effort. And if you think about the land makeup there um, for your people, and I'm thinking of some of the other reservations there in South Dakota, Pine Ridge or Cheyenne River or Crow Creek. I mean, how is it? Is it a different type of? I mean, earlier we mentioned it's checkerboard, but uh, is the reservation land different in other ways from some of those other reservations? And if so, does it uh, create challenges going forward with having the reservation boundaries established? Yeah, definitely. The land makeup is a uh, you know really different. You know, we. Um, have really high value uh, agricultural land um, in the, the Treaty of 1867, you know, uh, references agriculture. So uh, in that sense, you know, um, you know, going back to 156 years ago when that treaty was signed, I, I believe that was kind of the original intent of our reservation was to um, be farmers and, and explore agriculture. And um, so um, that's kind of what we're looking at, especially my administration. Um, so that that's that's also a big priority, and uh, obviously one of our biggest resources. Now, Chairman Professor Eaglewoman, she hinted at these economic benefits that could come from having the boundaries clarified. 
Can you expand on what these possible benefits from resolving the boundary issue could be? Okay, I think we might have uh, had an audio issue there with Chairman. Uh, Professor Eaglewoman, are you there? Yes. Um, if you could go ahead and field that question, I'd appreciate it. Uh, you know, possible sure. financial benefits uh, from resolving the boundary issue? Right. So there are federal economic hub zones, and Indian reservations automatically qualify. So we have things like that, automatic qualification to um, work with the EPA on air quality programs, on water quality programs. So there are things built into federal laws that are just blanketed for reservations. With our weird status because of one Supreme Court case, we now have to go in and work with the officials and prove what our land base is and try to work through these things to enjoy the, the usual federal benefits that every other reservation has. And we're the one tribe in the United States dealing with this. Mm -hmm. I also want to mention that for the nine Sioux tribes, we're all Dakota, Lakota, and Nakota in the state of South Dakota. We all work in relationship with the state of South Dakota. But there's been this strategy from lawyers in the past to try to um, limit our representation, limit our land base. And the strategy worked in the U.S. Supreme Court for our reservation being used against Flandreau. We want to be in partnership with the state of South Dakota. We don't want to be at odds. We're permanent neighbors. We're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. So these kinds of gamemanship back and forth on where the boundaries are don't help anyone. And it just distracts from us lifting up the whole state in terms of economics. Okay. Professor Eaglewoman, and I know this from some other work that I do, but if I'm not mistaken, Sistan Waptenoyate, you folks are the only tribe in the entire United States that has their own probate code, if I'm not mistaken. And if I'm not mistaken, is that in any way related to this issue of, um, of the reservation being disestablished 50 years ago? Well, that goes back to what I was talking about with uh, um, the enactment since the 1975 decision. So again, in 1984, the federal government, Congress recognized that we needed land inheritance provisions for our reservation, and they passed that in federal law. In Hodel versus Irving, it was a case about fractionated airship. So if an Alati, um, their interest in their land goes down to the next generation, it's all in common ownership with, say, five kids. Then it goes down in common with the next generation. Now we might have 25. Then by four generations, we could have hundreds of people without, with little tiny percentages of one little allotment. Right. Knowing that in that Hodel versus Irving case, they used our reservation and one tract of land as an example of the most fractionated piece of land in the United States. So we've been dealing with trying to keep our land base, <laughs> and mm. it's been recognized. So having a probate code, that's one of the ways if somebody puts in their will Here's where my interest is going to go, and enough people do that, we can reclaim those interests back into being usable. Because the default is the United States is then the trust manager, and they lease it out, and then we lose control of that, of using that land. 
Right, right. Thank you for that clarification, Professor. And at this point, I, I want to bring our third guest into the conversation now, Representative Tamara St. John. And Representative St. John, I mean, I'm just thinking of you there as a state legislator there in South Dakota and all the issues that you face going forward. How pressing is this state mapping issue for you right now as a legislator? Oh, well, I would say it is the number one thing that in when we have the opportunity to be hosted, I am the House chair, I co-chair the State Tribal Relations Committee. And it was the number one thing on the agenda that we wanted to begin and address the tribe's uh, wishes to look at this issue and possibly bring uh, some sort of a resolution and begin conversations with the state of South Dakota. Um, just touching on a previous question that you asked, in very real life terms, when I originally began working for a tribal historic preservation office, I came to find in looking at the establishment of our office, when we are tasked with the protection of cultural resources uh, for the Sisseton Wapiton Oyate, and to see that there had been such a huge battle just to allow us to fulfill um, what is required under the National Historic Preservation Act for our tribe to protect those important things because we, because of the Dakota case and the idea that we are not a reservation. So as Angelique said, it requires us to sometimes even have to go into court, like in the case with the THBO, to be able to explain how we are still here. We are still functioning as a tribe and a reservation and you know, our lands uh, were recognized on a federal level. One elderly gentleman had said to me once, you know, I can't take land by over by the city of Aberdeen in South Dakota and put it into trust for Sisseton Wapitan because it has to be done within the boundaries of our reservation. So our boundaries are there. But yet here we are in this weird status of where we aren't a reservation. And so in really real terms, um, some of the things that I worked with in my first year as a legislator and continue to work in were the tribe's story, who we are, our identity, our existence today. All of those things are, are really important on an everyday basis. Um, in my first year, I started to work with tourism and then come to find that really, truly, I don't believe that according to the State Tribal Relations uh, website, Sisseton Wapiton is listed as the former reservation, the former Lake Traverse Reservation. So anytime, just as you did in introducing us, you stated the Lake Traverse Reservation, I love it because that's real. <laughs> and that is something that we acknowledge. I always say that, you know, I wake up within the boundaries of the 1867 treaty that was signed by my ancestors for the Sisseton Wapiton of the Lake Traverse Reservation. And my boundaries are intact. I don't know what, <laughs> irregardless okay. well, that's of any why, uh, ruling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Representative St. John, I mean, that's why uh, for listeners, I think it, you know, I think some of them might still be kind of confused because to me it's like, okay, if it, if it looks like a duck and it acts like a duck and it walks like a duck, it's a duck, right? And, and to me it just sounds like this is a reservation regardless of what anybody says. I agree. We function like that. We've been here. We've always been here. 
past, present, and future. And so for the state of South Dakota, because of that, to not recognize us on the map or to have on their website the former Lake Travers, you know, in, in when you think of it in terms of our young people, I had one uh, a young man um, who said that, you know, when he began his journey in education, and you know proudly speak about his tribe he was there was some pushback and say no you know your tribe uh, no longer exists and he he didn't know how to respond to that i was just home i have all of these we do all of these things you know how is it that the state of south dakota views us as no longer existing and really what does that mean i think you know clarification is something we use those words in state legislature all the time you know, wanting clarification on something. And I think we are entitled to that. Um, this ruling to me, you know, I, I understand that it is such a, a intense uh, issue. And uh, my number one goal in this has been to not only educate myself, but to educate even our own tribal members so that they understand how this came to be and why we believe that this is wrong and then explore the impacts, you know, for um, in Chairman Renville, to me, Chairman Renville is young, and he would be somebody that has always lived in this. Okay. Um, Representative you know, St. John, I'm sorry, we're going to have to take another break, but I'll let you continue when we come back. Did you know that bare space is best when it comes to your baby's sleep? That's right. When you keep their crib free from toys, pillows, blankets, and other loose objects, you can drastically reduce the risk of suffocation. All your little one needs is to be placed on their back atop a tightly fitted sheet to ensure a safer night's rest. More infant sleep safety information at cpsc.gov. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. We're listening to Native America Calling. We're hearing about the importance of states properly recognizing reservation boundaries. And uh, specifically today, we're talking about the Sistan Wapten Oyate. So anybody who is listening to our show today who is Sistan Wapten Oyate, you're more than welcome to call in and tell us your perspective on this issue. Our phone number, 1-800-996-2848. Also, if you're from another tribe in South Dakota, such as the Flandreau Santee Sioux or the Yankton Sioux, who is facing similar hurdles, getting the state to recognize its reservation boundaries, we'd love to hear from you as well. That number again, 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-996-2848. Our producers are standing by. We're ready to take your call. And on the line right now, we have Representative Tamara St. John, member of the South Dakota House of Representatives, and also tribal historian for the Sistan Wapton Oyate. And Representative St. John, before break, you were telling us uh, about how this uh issue really impacts tribal members on a personal level. Please continue what you were saying. Thank you very much. You know, I was just making the statement that uh, generations now, even like I was referring to our, our Chairman Renville and other leaders, 
you know, they've grown up in this environment knowing that we had so-called lost our boundaries. And what a disheartening thing um, that is to think about. And we've heard it all the time. We've lost our boundaries. And then uh, that wish to have that corrected. And it is difficult to take action on this, I think, because, first of all, it's very difficult to understand. So one of the key things that I think we have in our favor moving forward is that we have Angelique and others. She's referred us to others that help us as a tribe to truly understand um, the bigger issue here. The impacts are another thing. Um, I had mentioned briefly the Tribal Historic Preservation Office and how it almost limited us from even being able to do um, some of the things that we need to do to protect our cultural resources within our reservation boundaries and beyond under the National Historic Preservation Act. So some of those things, um, even just like, uh, as I mentioned, uh, economic development and tourism, which is huge in the state of South Dakota right now, we're working with Native Tribal Tourism Alliance and others, and to be able to say, welcome to the Lake Travers Reservation. And the idea that we're not able to do that has always just been a really hard point for me. I think that it is really, even though it's a really big issue, I think when it comes down to it uh, at its core for me as a historian, it really is an ask as simple as let us have our name, let us have our identity, let us be seen on a map, and let us be called what our ancestors called this place when they signed our treaty on February 19, 1867, the Lake Traverse Reservation. And, uh, you know, it, I think the statement, uh, it's never too late to do what's right. I think that, you know, is sort of some of the leading thinking into this. Mm -hmm. Now, Representative St. John, you are a state legislator, and of course, uh, these tribal boundaries are determined by Congress. So what power does the state really have with this issue? I, I'm curious. You know, I think we see it that way, um, and that would be why uh, the chairman and others are speaking to, you know, our, our partners and people that we our connections and our network on both a, a local um, state and then federal level. So reaching out to those that we know that maybe have in um, more recent times a better connection to Indian country and are working on those federal levels, um, bringing them to this and helping them to understand an incredibly complicated issue. I think we're hoping to gain some momentum. But as a state legislator, bringing this issue to South Dakota, which is in the heart of it, and it's at the beginning of the Dakota case, you know, they the, to truly want our South Dakota, I think uh, Professor Eagle Woman mentioned, you know, as a sister sovereign, you know, to understand this issue and to ideally be a partner in the progress that we hope that this will bring to our reservation, whether it be in economic development or even just being better able to manage issues that arise here and, and ideally as something the chairman always goes back to, to develop better partnerships with even on the local, the local levels. But unless the, I think people understand it. I really don't want anybody just to uh, be a no because they don't know 
or not understand this complicated issue. If the tribe were to bring something like a resolution and uh, the beginning stages of that happened last legislative session, and that's what really caused, I think, a few others of us to pick it up and look at it. And, uh, you know, to bring it to the state and allow them to see what this is and what this means to us. And then ideally go to our uh, federal level partners and do the very same things. All right. That is Representative Tamara St. John on the line uh, on the Lake Traverse Reservation in South Dakota. And we've got a caller on the line as well, Dr. Reverend Clifford Chonku who is listening on station KSXW in Siston, South Dakota. Hello, sir. Hello. Thank you for calling in. Appreciate it. Uh, can I speak now? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yes. Feel free. Okay. I, I'm uh, very happy to call in and to say that our tribe has really evolved in many areas, education, financial, social, uh, and, and also uh, our social uh, status for our people. And uh, I was on the tribal council for three terms, six years, and we have asked the tribal uh, uh, we asked uh, uh, South Dakota to recognize us, and when I was on the council, we were very poor people as a tribe, but now we have evolved to such a point that we need to ask South Dakota to be, uh, to recognize us as they have recognized their uh, non-Indian people uh, of different nationalities bringing in all immigrants and giving them opportunities. We want to be given the same opportunity because we are their neighbors. And a lot my my relationship with uh, the non-Indians and sisters in South Dakota since I was born in 1938 has really evolved to the point where we're as, I was equal as uh, the non-Indians insisted in South Dakota, and we need to be given the opportunity and, uh, and to be cordial. South Dakota needs to be cordial and say we're rep representing all our people and not to keep us in the background uh, historically because they are way off base when they do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm... I'm uh, very happy that socially we we have evolved with uh, with our uh, South Dakota friends, and they need to also bring us back on board and be be good neighbors to us that are Native American people living on our reservation. Like myself, I I I was off the reservation and served in the U.S. Army. And, and served in uh, various uh, states, you know, doing uh, education and also uh, many other vocations. But now that I'm old, I have come back, and, and my gosh, our reservation is wonderful. Mm. 
our reservation needs to be uh, needs to be shared with non-Indians who used to come from Norway to to, to our uh, bring a, a bus to our Wachipi, our Fourth of July powwow, and it's those kinds of uh, opportunities we need to share with each other and. Today is a time to be equal and honorable toward one another because, my gosh, we, uh, we are all uh, Americans. Sure, sure. Sir, I really appreciate your, your phone call today and uh, really getting to the heart of the issue. And, and I want to have Chairman Renville respond to that. Chairman, that is uh, a former tribal councilman there of your people, and he mentions you know, being good neighbors and new residents. And I, and I really, it really makes me think because I know that the state of South Dakota right now is working very hard to recruit new residents to the state. They're really pushing hard for economic development and getting people to move there. And people from all over the United States and even other countries are now coming to South Dakota. They're looking at it as a home, as a new place of residence. And, and what do you think these people, these newcomers, these new residents, these new neighbors to South Dakota who might not be familiar with the long history there amongst the tribes in the state of South Dakota, what do you want them to understand when they move to your state and become residents of South Dakota? I guess it would be, you know, like as Clifford mentioned, you know, you know, being those good partners in, in, in our culture, we always talk about being a good relative. And, uh, you know, I think it goes along those lines. Um, you know, I never quite understood uh, the division, um, you know, uh, the longstanding division in South Dakota or even in the different communities, because at the end of the day, um, you know, we have to work together because, uh, you know, we're not going anywhere. And I don't think the other citizens of South Dakota are going anywhere either. So I think it's just in the best interest of everybody involved that that we work together and, and we share, um, you know, the culture. Uh, we share, um, you know, all of the resources that we can. Camera um, gave a good, uh, good uh, example of tourism. You know, tourism is very big in, in South Dakota, and um, it's a good way to share all of that that we have with our neighbors. Mm hmm. Absolutely, Chairman, and, and Representative St. John also expressed the importance of having uh, the reservation name listed on those those tourism brochures and those maps and everything else to make sure folks understand uh, where this land is and what this land is. And with that, I'd like to go back now to Professor Angelique Eagle Woman, who is also one of our guests on the show today. And Professor Eagle Woman, um, earlier you mentioned this as a, a litigation strategy, and you compared this to the McGirt decision uh, last year. And I just want to ask you, you know, going forward, what are your next steps? What are you planning here? Well, I think we want to raise awareness and continue to ask our, our partners, the U.S. government, our treaty partner, and our local partner, the state of South Dakota, to um, help us put this boundary issue to rest. I also want to thank Elder Clifford Chanku for joining us and, and, and let you know that we just celebrated the 154th annual powwow. It's the longest running event ever in South Dakota. And, you know, we are a, a economic driver for Northeast South Dakota and part of North Dakota. There are benefits here. 
a rising tide lifts all canoes. <laughs> so we need to act like permanent neighbors and help each other. And, and we're not going to give up. Nobody's going to give up. We're here to stay, just like the chairman said, just like Representative St. John said. And we care about our neighbors. We want everyone to be a good relative. And that's who the system Wapton Oyate and the Lake Traverse Reservation are. Representative St. John, anything you'd like to add to our conversation before we have to wrap it up? Uh, no, I think other than maybe just uh, wanting to address some of the, probably the biggest question that people have is what is the impact going to be to uh, the people here in the areas within the boundaries of the 67 Treaty? And I want them to understand that this is not about returning land back. Uh, there, this does not affect uh, property rights and things of that sort, that this is, uh, so a lot of the things that I think um, misinformation can cause, um, you know, I'm hoping that by programs like this, we'll be able to share facts that would allow people to understand and then ideally support this. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Representative Tamara St. John, who's also one of our guests. and. Chairman Renville, I'm going to go ahead and give you the last word for our conversation today. We've got about another minute before we have to, to wrap up the show, but anything else you would like to add about today's topic or or any other issues that are impacting your people there, uh, the Sistan Wapten Oyate? No, just, you know, really want to drive home that, you know, what Tamara mentioned and, and Angelique mentioned is just raising the awareness. Um, you know, this has been you know, uh, a learning experience for me as well, you know, digging into all of the intricacies of the case and how it affects all of this. We've had a lot of conversations between the three of us and, uh, you know, um, you know, that's what it comes down to is just raising awareness and letting our neighbors know that um, we're, we're willing to work together, you know, as Angelique mentioned, you know, for the benefit of all really in our region and in our area. Well, thank you, Chairman Renville. And at this point, we are going to have to wrap up the show. We're just about out of time. But again, thank you, Chairman Jay Garrett Renville, Representative Tamara St. John, and also Professor Angelique Eaglewoman for what's been a really timely conversation on the significance of tribal lands and state maps. And also really appreciate that caller today. Clifford Chonku, and anyone else who has any thoughts or perspectives on today's show, even if you didn't get a chance to call in, you can always follow up with us on social media. Give us a shout out on Facebook or Instagram, put a post down. Just keep this conversation rolling. Engage with us, please, here at Native America Calling. It's been a really good show and appreciate all of you folks who've been listening with us today. Hope you can join us again tomorrow when we'll hear about disparities when it comes to oral health for Native Americans. Until then, stay cool and enjoy the rest of your day. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. SBA wants to see you win. They want to see you grow. They have been so helpful and so resourceful. Thanks to the SBA, my business is thriving today. Make sure you get in touch with SBA and you will definitely be on your way to a winning path. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis.
Smoking gave me COPD, which makes it harder and harder for me to breathe. I have a tip for you. If your doctor gives you five years to live, spend it talking with your grandchildren. Explain to them that your grandpa's not gonna be around anymore to share his wisdom and his love. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm running out of time. COPD makes it harder and harder to breathe and can cause death. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.